Welcome back to Real Estate and More, Special Edition 9-11. 37-year veteran battalion chief, Joe Novelli. Thinking back from a personal standpoint, what were your first thoughts that went through your mind when you first heard the news that these massive towers had been hit and people needed help? Yeah, I think like so many of us uh, that was around for that, you're not going to forget that moment. Um, for me, I got a phone call from a, a firefighter that says you need to turn on the TV. And so uh, turn on TV and and saw the, the footage of the towers that had been struck. Um, the emotion that came to me then, like so many of the coworkers that I've worked with, was disbelief. Um, powerless. Uh, you know, I come from a career where we're called in and we will make a difference, right? We're usually called into something and we'll make it better. Um, it might take a village, it might take two people, but we usually can troubleshoot something and make it better. And the overarching emotion I had, well, there's, there's nothing I can do. I could just... Yeah, so we, at the time I was on this, uh, this urban search and rescue task force. It's a federal team. At the time, there was 25 teams in the United States. Um, they actually initiated that team to go out there. And those folks were designed to, um, you know, assist in any way they can, going through searching with small little cameras. Uh, they had, you know, the ability to cut the concrete and remove it and, and do anything they could to search for for uh, survivors initially. Uh, and then, of course, it, it turned into body recovery. But, uh, yeah, I did not go, but I had more than a few friends that went. And uh, you can imagine their emotion while they're there, and they're still dealing with that now. I spoke with one of them prior to coming on to do this with you and, and, you know, got his impression of the impact all these years later. And it's still a significant thing for him. You know, he's had to dig really deep to take the positive feelings from that. And, um, and he has, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, he's, you know, it's changed his life. Um, and I think so many of us uh, as well, whether we were there or supported those who came back. So it's interesting. Um, at the time when the firefighters went out to New York City, what protections did they use? The, the respirators, the same ones that they would normally use? Yeah, they weren't able to use those because those have a separate bottle and they have a, a time frame, usually 30 minutes. And it's really when you're working, you get about 15 minutes from it. Uh, this particular uh, friend of mine that went out actually had a relationship with a company in Europe and they actually started putting on these, they're called APR. So they're they're canistered um, individual units that they put on, like you see people spraying cars and things like that in a, in a spray booth. So uh, they were wearing those uh, when nobody was. And in fact, this individual, I won't use his name, he called Europe and asked them to ship as many as they could to provide this respiratory protection for the rescuers that were there, which of course, um, you know, I have statistics, and I don't know when you want me to get into that, but how many people, you know, there was over 400,000 people that were involved after those buildings went down, whether it was rescuers, yeah. volunteers, you know, everybody that was involved. And a lot of those rescuers, um, uh, I, over 4,300 of those first responders and uh, partial survivors died within the first few years since that world attack and a lot of it was respiratory leukemia prostate cancer all those things that were significant and um and they're still they're still uh they're still showing effects all these years later um 
and I don't know, Mike, if you want me to get into this victim, yeah. victim comp Please. compensation fund. So it's called a VCF. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was originally founded in 2001, and that was for folks um, that were there providing the, the rescue. And then what they realized quickly thereafter is it was taking years for all these different types of leukemia and prostate and thyroid cancers to kind of present itself, not to mention the respiratory effects from all the particulates, the asbestos, the glass being pulverized, um, all those products when those buildings came down. And uh, recently, uh, in let's see, 2019, they authorized the extension of that fund, which is significant because they've uh, continued to put monies in that fund that helps pay for ongoing support and medical conditions. They extended that to 2092. So basically anybody that was there, they're trying to make those funds available to potentially the end of their life because these things are still presenting you know, all these years later. It's a good and thing. So that's a great thing. Yeah. Not even the preparations for the tanks that would, would filter out a lot of the harmful materials were available because this is so rare. I mean, how do you yeah. protect for something like this? Yeah. And those APRs, those individuals, that made a huge difference, but there, there wasn't enough. And if you looked at footage, whether it's through document, document, uh, documentaries or, uh, you know, film from real time, you, you saw people with masks, just those paper masks that we would get at our hardware store right yeah. which did not did not help and unfortunately we're seeing those statistics and numbers of people that are suffering since then notice that after a few days that everyone tended to mobilize into the form of hey this is america you know let's get together let's do what we can let's create these funds let's mm -hmm. take care of these people and let's just see what we can do you see american flags where you'd never seen them before and now you see them on houses you see them on cars it rallied together in a sense of community that i don't think i've seen since joe well that's what i was going to say at 56 years old that's the closest i've ever seen our country come together people waving you in when you're changing lanes and and uh, you know, it, 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 it's sad, but it's well documented. When you go through crises like this as a country, uh, it brings you together. And it certainly did, I think, in this time frame. It was, um, yeah, it was a horrific, horrific time. Um, what kind of coordination uh, uh, was put into effect to uh, mount the, uh, re the recovery of, of, of so many lost souls? A shining example of, and I, you know, I try to get, I try to explain this to, to loved ones and neighbors, and this is a shining example of how do you how do you share the commitment that at least in my industry these firefighters have to be able and be willing to take an order as they walk into that lobby and there's some footage out there and you see the engine captains and the lieutenants and the crews walking in there and you see the officers that are dressed in white those are battalion chiefs or division chiefs with FDNY telling them assignment and you see them put their head down and they walk up while these buildings are on fire uh, and most certainly realizing that this could be the end for them and yet they're still committed uh, to the, the oath that they took to protect and try to save lives. Uh, an example that I wanted to share with you and the listeners was I had a, a dear friend of mine still do that was an Oakland firefighter and at the time that the, these planes struck he was in Las Vegas on his bachelor party with a significant group of men from the Oakland Fire Department. They heard the news. They said, we got to do something about this. They rented three vans, drove back from Las Vegas, 
They said they went to the airport, picked up their cars. Were there no, and you would know that, there was no cars at the airport. Went back to the firehouse and started to support each other any way they can. Because as I mentioned in the onset, when we get a call and as many calls as I've responded to in five little zip codes in this significant world of ours, we typically make an impact. We're going to figure it out. If I can't figure it out, I'm going to seek others. And if others can't figure it out, I'm going to key this this most powerful piece of equipment called a radio. And I key that mic and I'm going to call in other people that are going to help me solve this issue. This was different. We had no control. And that's very unusual for the fire service to be a world away, it seemed like, being on the West Coast and realize we, we can't do anything about that at this point in time and that was difficult even though they went back to the stations they supported each other they cared about each other they support each other's families and then later you know if we get into it lots of west coast firefighters along as 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 many as firefighters around the, the country literally drove and flew in new york just to sit in churches with all those um in service online death funerals for fdny appreciation isn't that amazing it's amazing sense of community that's it. Yeah. I just think about that and I, I think who really supports communities uh, the way that the dedicated people of the, of the fire and rescue do. Uh, there not too many, you know, police officers, uh, firefighters, um, people, you know, such as you. And I, I got to say, uh, you know, I hand it to you. But it was it was just an, a daunting thing. And you know, the, the loss of control, it's like, um, OK, it's a loss of control. And that that's something that. Nobody likes to have Joe. Yeah. And the, the aftermath, uh, you know, it certainly it created a lot of questions on what we can do better, and what they what what was what was created was additional funding, right? Additional funding for for hospitals, for police, for fire, for better communications, for for us to be able to cross reference and talk to each other in a more appropriate fashion, not have police on one channel and us on another. So. Uh, a lot of that funding took place and, and found its way to, to Homeland Security when they actually formulated that, to airports, um, the things that make an impact in our lives on a daily basis. And so I think that was um, something that came out of that uh, when they funded that. Um, yeah, so I think that was that was the that was the, the big thing. I want to thank you so much, uh, Chief Novelli, for you know setting time to to do this, and hopefully this will um, do some good once it airs um, on um, September 9th. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thank you for letting me share some of this with your audience. Appreciate Th- that. Thank you, sir. I'd like to introduce Dr. Roger Martin, I've known him for many years. He's always been a very kind and and generous person and someone that you would like as your best friend. He's been in the ministry for 47 years. His uh, viewpoints are very valuable in my mind. And first of all, one of the things that uh, I'd like to have him talk about is all the church does to support the community before we get into the uh, the 9-11 event. Dr. Martin, welcome. Well, thank you, Captain. It's great to be with you. And the church is a vital part of the community. And there's so many uh, aspects of the church that uh, can can be helpful. And 
There's so many uh, aspects of the church, Captain, that uh, are important to the community. And there's the counseling aspect where so many people go through difficulties of life. And so the church offers so many different services like marriage counseling and grief counseling and, you know, addiction counseling and things like that, as well as educational services for preschool and daycares and sometimes uh, day schools. And so the, the church is a vital part of the community. And uh, over the years, I found that uh, people come looking for help. They, they come with different needs and the church is there to help. That's, that's the bottom line. Absolutely. Do you, now launching into the 9-11 um, event, do you actually recall the exact moment you heard the Twin Towers had been attacked and were gone? Many of us were heavy hearted and very dumbstruck. Well, absolutely. You know, the events of, the, of that day took place here on the West Coast uh, early in the morning. So we got a phone call uh, early in the morning telling us to turn on the TV. And we sat there for, for hours in shock. Uh, watching these events unfold. And I remember asking the question later that day to myself as I went to the church, how do you uh, encourage uh, people in a time like this? And how do we give hope in a time of national tragedy? And those were some thoughts that were on my mind. But, you know, with all Americans, we sat there just really in, in shock and in stunned silence as we, we watched uh, that morning unfold before our very eyes. Yeah. And did you reach out to other ministers in the area to try to, to put together more of a community to help all of the citizens? Uh, I know communications were, were kind of tough at the time. Yes, you're right. We absolutely did. In those days in the San Ramon Valley, we had a pastor's fellowship that would meet a couple times a month for encouragement and, and prayer together. And in talking with our pastors, we put together the following Sunday night, uh, uh, a time for all churches to come together and just be together, encourage one another and pray together. And uh, what a comfort that was for everybody. And it was a wonderful, uh, I just call it a coming together in the community through, uh, through the aspects of our, of our church community. And for the longest time, um, I've heard that the doors to the church were just left open for people to come in, to pray, to to do what they they do, to try to get um, get a handle on what has happened. Absolutely. We opened the doors of the church for people just to stop spontaneously by and be together to pray. And, you know, in times like that, there's a great need for people to just come together and, and comfort one another and to uh, to process, you know, what we've all been through. Yeah, that was an important of, time. Instead of just sitting and listening to to the media for 24 hours a day, that would perpetuate that down uh, mood that everyone was in anyway. Uh, if you sat there and just watched that media, boy, I tell you, it would it would take you down. I actually turned it off in in my case. Uh, I would watch it for a couple minutes and and uh, just to see if there was anything new. Then I would turn it off and then try to get back on the positive side of things. You know, one of the good things about the church, and there's many, uh, whether or not it's it's this church, that church, or whatever. When you believe in in, in something greater than than humanity, uh, when you have that belief, it's it's an extremely uh, helpful. Uh, something to have in your emotional bag of, of tricks. And I know the church did a wonderful job with youth. What were the youth? How did you handle that with the school that you had with our younger youth at the time? Yes, you know, we had the, a daycare, a preschool. Uh, part of our, our process was to protect the children in a time like that from emotional distress. 
And so we just tried to, to be there for them and encourage them. But uh, in, in the later years, during the youth, uh, it was a great time to help them process and mature and, and grow in their own uh, personal faith. And in times like that, you know, everybody is asking questions and especially youth as well. Like these kind of events uh, certainly cause all of us to ask the hard questions of life. And it's, it's just great to be there for people in, in times like that. Well, I know you certainly were. You know, it, I think about that and I think about with children and how uh, it's, you, you do want to protect them because they can't quite grasp mm -hmm. as much as an adult can. And they see mom and dad and somber in mood and attitude. It's it's much better to be able to somehow mitigate that. And, and the church definitely has, has done that. And I'm, I, I, I really feel uh, grateful looking back over that period of time with, with our kids. And do you believe as a nation uh, that we've learned anything from, from this heinous event that occurred uh, so many years ago, like what, 22 years ago? Have we learned anything both either as a nation or as people? Well, I would certainly hope so, uh, Captain. You know, uh, 22 years later, we, we sit here as a nation and we're so divided in, in so many different aspects. But as we look back on this event, it was just the opposite. It was an event that brought us together. It was an event that uh, hearts were, were in one accord, uh, stressed out over what had taken place. We had so many questions and so many emotions that were going through our lives. And uh, these are these are tough events, but uh, they are times when we can learn uh, about where we're at in life. Uh, we can learn about the reality of evil that uh, exists in our world, and it, and, it, and it certainly does, and it affects our lives in, in so many ways. Uh, we can learn uh, that we need each other. Uh, even in our, our times of, of disagreements, there's a, there's a need that we, we come together and we overlook uh, those disagreements and, and just uh, accept one another for who we are. On September 10th, 2001, my co-pilot and I at Brand X Airlines began our normal scheduled airline trip. I was to learn later that morning that Andrew had his own set of personal problems. His wife's pregnant. He received a deployment notice for the guard to fly F-16s in Afghanistan, and he got a layoff notice from Brand X Airlines. About three weeks ago, Andrew reached out and we were able to meet and reacquaint. Andrew will now tell a story. So reporting for work on September 10th, tell us everything. Just started with uh, Brand X Airlines. I was just about ready to come off probation, actually, about a month, and uh, flew with Michael. And we started a normal trip, a normal day, four-day trip with nice layovers and looked to be like a, a nice morning to fly, beautiful weather all throughout the country. It was going to be a good time. And so then all of a sudden, you had, you had all of these problems. You show up for the trip, and this trip turns out 9-11. And we got on the bus, and then all of a sudden, everyone's cell phones started ringing. And all the news was coming out. Uh, and I remember when we got to the airport itself, it was just mass chaos. People running outside of the airport. Uh, the police were coming and shutting down a lot of the entrance to the airports. We took the bus with um, various crews, including our crew, our flight attendants, to the airport. And if, if the memory serves me right, it seems like they had some soldiers out in front there because we were so close to NORAD. Yeah, I remember, you know, military starting to mobilize, you yeah. know, sirens everywhere and and you know we were what 
1,700 miles away, probably from the impacts. Unbelievable. So it was like the, no one knew what was really happening other than airplanes had hit the tower. Tower. And so we went back and reclaimed our hotel rooms, we which did. was a really good thing. That to was do. your idea, actually. <laughs> uh, occasionally have one or two good ones, but uh, I remember we went back to make sure that we had a place to stay because once we shut down the entire airline system, we knew right away it wasn't going to start up for several days. There's just no way that that could happen with airplanes uh, going on their own specific rotation, pilots on their own specific rotation, currency requirements, as well as flight attendants on their own. Um, but I remember back to the hotel, we got our rooms back and they wanted us to go to this one particular room. Yes. And we had American crews, United crews, Delta yeah. crews. We had everybody there in that one room. It was a large room. And being that everyone knew that it was not going to be flying for days, they had... Um, I remember refreshments, apples, bananas. Yeah. yeah. And pool tables. Look. And everybody was kind of socializing, but there was no joy to it whatsoever. No. It was nothing but somber. And everybody was talking. It was our it was our community at the time. It was. It was a community that we had. Well, and I think in addition, the true impact had come then. You know, then a plane had hit the Pentagon. A plane had crashed in Pennsylvania. The real news was coming out. And we're all in this room, this one large room in the Colorado Springs Hotel with all of these air crews, everybody with a somber mood and a brand Z airline flight attendant. In the middle of this group, she broke out singing a song with me and Bobby McGee. <laughs> and she did such a great job of it, but everyone was so preoccupied with what was on our, their minds that it was just the strangest experience ever. Um, she did a great job at singing it, but I think everyone was just so stunned that we didn't, so dumbfounded, we didn't know how to react to somebody doing something normal. I think the biggest thing was the unknown. I mean, people didn't know the scope of it. Was there a 912 or a 913 planned? Uh, I remember paranoia, people picking up their kids from school, uh, you know, things shutting down immediately, movie theaters. Uh, it was just a time that Americans, I don't think, have ever felt in their history. I mean, Pearl Harbor, when it happened in Hawaii, was thousands of miles away, and it was via radio. Now people are watching this live building collapsing, people jumping out of windows, mm. uh, you know, an airplane fire, a crash into the Pentagon, fires in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think it was just the unknown that probably drove most of Americans to go, hey, it's time to hunker down and get home, get with your family and, you know, look at what's important to you. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't do that. We couldn't leave that, that property whatsoever. There were no cars available, certainly no flights because they were all on the ground and the air was so quiet. It was silent. That was the eeriest thing. No contrails, no jet noise. And especially near Colorado Springs, which is a large Air Force base there and things, normally air traffic, and, and that was completely shut down. Yeah, I imagine it was like five days before we were able to do something with it. Uh, this airline, as well as other brand Z and brand A, and all of the all other All my friends too. were getting furloughed because we had all been got out of the Air Force and, and, and got hired all at the same time. Mm. I went through that when I originally started at my first airline. Um, and it was no fun, but, uh, you know, I focused on something else. It sounds like you did, too. Exactly. And I took your advice because uh, you had told me, like, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you in my life. And I looked at you and I said, I don't think so. But 
it took a couple years, but you know, once I realized what life was about and the important things, it actually worked out well in my favor. Got the opportunity to grow up with my children. I have, yeah, it actually worked out better. I Just like you told me, you're gonna get a whole new life, which I did. And so when Brand X went to call me back, I really had to think about possibly going back. For me and my family, we focused on the long-term goals. You know, eventually I knew I would get a job back at Brand X, uh, you know, once things turned around. Uh, the other time is it allowed me to start interacting much more with my family, with my brothers and sisters. Uh, allowed me to kind of get involved a lot with the family business and some of my dad's uh, real estate ventures. And it, it was really good. Uh, I was able to reconnect and it kind of set my values. Like I tell people that I have, you know, uh, and for example, for today, you know, one of the pilots I was flying with was complaining. I'm like, you know what, dude, my worst day at Brand X Airlines is better than my w best day in Afghanistan. So for the country as a fighter pilot, and thank you for uh, reaching out uh, a few weeks back and yes. reacquainting after all of this. And this has just been a wonderful, wonderful time. And, and your you legacy. So when this COVID furlough happened or was going to happen, I passed your knowledge on to my friends and every one of them thanked me. So your legacy continues. I don't know if it's my <laughs> legacy, you know, a good, a good, um, a good thought uh, that helps people. That's really what we can take forward from 9-11 is that we all came together as a country. It is. Yeah. We, we were American flags where we never had them before. People that come together, people helping each other, people wanting to, to uh, do something, you know, as far as just sit in a corner and complain. We ask ourselves, where were you that day when the earth stopped turning? Fear, anxiety, high emotions, and sadness this event produced the highest amount of these undesirables I can personally recall. Then all of a sudden, there was overwhelming pride in our nation, solidity in our people. Webster's Dictionary of Community is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. That was it. It is clear to me that our community plays a tremendous role in dealing with events such as 9-11. It is also clear that we need people in our lives, people of like interests and goals that care about one another. Hope and love, being humble and kind, and all working together in a sense of community is the wonderful takeaway from this horrendous event of September 11th, 2001. I will endeavor personally to search out these people with these desirable qualities to include in my life Thank you for listening today to Real Estate and More, special edition 9-11. Until next Saturday morning at 9, when our show will again speak about real estate in the Bay Area. It is our hope your week is wonderful and full of joy. Good morning. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. Information on the show provided for illustrator purposes only and does not constitute professional or legal advice. Information from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Michael Hatfield and the Michael Hatfield Remax team have no liability for information discussed on the show. Consult with qualified professionals prior to taking action. We at the Michael Hatfield Remax team enjoy representing our valued clients. If you or someone you know is interested in buying or selling and wishes to schedule a complimentary appointment with the Michael Hatfield Remax team, 
call us at 925-322-7775. That's 925-322-7775. Or go to our website, michaelhatfieldhomes.com. I'm Michael Hatfield. Thank you for listening today. Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for the next Real Estate and More, when we again sharpen our focus on how's the market. Join us next Saturday morning at 9 and have a wonderful week. Best wishes and blessings to you. DRE 0149